Hello, everyone. I'm Ron Stefanski, co-host of Disrupt Dad. Welcome to our show. I'm joined today by my co-host and compatriot. Hello. Hello. In the house. Hello. And today we have a really, really interesting guest. And he's been an educational leader turned disruptor. And he just has an interesting story to tell about his journey as an educator and as a writer. So we've got a lot of interesting questions for our guest today. And he has a high GDS. GSD right? index. That's right. That's right. All of our, as yeah. you know, yeah, viewers and listeners, you have to have a high GSD index to be on this show. You have That's to be right. able not to simply talk it, but you have to get shit done. So Peter <laughs> Hall, welcome to Disrupt. Welcome. Ed. Welcome, Pete. Oh, thank you, gentlemen. It's good to be here today. So, Peter, I'm going to turn it over to Caesar because he's been bugging me uh, and peppering me with questions about your various um, your various books and your leadership journey from being a school administrator to now being an author and a coach to a lot of educators. So, Caesar, you had a bunch of questions. You wanted to jump right in here. Well, first of all, I just want to say I'm honored to be in the company of such an esteemed educator. So I know I've been through the journey, man. So I know how difficult it is. You know, you have to, it's not for the money, right? That you get into this field. It's for a real commitment. So Pete, what I've been doing is kind of looking at a lot of the stuff that you've been writing about, especially with reflect self-reflection. And, and so what, what we would like the audience to know is how did you get on this path? If you could just give us an idea of why you concentrated on that probably more than anything else. If you could share that with us, that would be great, man. Well, I, I appreciate that. Thanks for the introduction. Um, yeah, so I would say as a teacher, classroom teacher, I pretty much thought that every other teacher in the building was teaching more or less the way I was, right? That we were pretty much, you know, equals and the curriculum and the instructional methods and all that kind of business. And when I got my first position as an assistant principal, that was my first opportunity to really visit other classrooms to see how other teachers were teaching. And I was shocked. I was shocked at two things. One, some folks were doing just incredible, amazing things that I hadn't even thought of before and getting results. And there were also folks doing some pretty amazing things that maybe weren't legal, right? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea, right? So so when I became a principal, I really wanted to boil down and figure out, okay, so what is it that makes the difference between a mediocre teacher and an excellent teacher? And I partnered with an instructional coach of mine, Elisa Simmerall, and she and I have written five books together. Um, and we, you know, we went through all the lists of what great teachers do, like everybody does, and read Bobby Marzano's stuff and John Hattie's early stuff. And, and it turns out two teachers use the same curriculum, the same instructional strategies, ask the same questions, and get totally different results. So it's not just about what we do or even how we do it. It turns out it's what's happening in the six inches between our ears. It's, it's how we orient our mental energy towards what we're doing that makes the greatest impact. So it, it started us down the journey of investigating reflective practice, which it sounds like you've been reading about, a little okay. bit about reflective practice. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're fascinated by this. This is really yeah. interesting. It, it is. And, and, and so, Pete, in terms of the, the I, I was looking at one of your PowerPoints, in terms of re reflective practice, how does a teacher, and this is a setup question, 
how does a teacher get enough time, you know, to do the type of reflection that's necessary? And the reason I ask that to you in particular, because you were principal. So unless you had the whole school kind of tuned in to, and providing the time for self-reflection, then it just becomes like a runoff, a teacher, you know, kind of going off into the closet doing his or her own thing, right? So how did you help manage that, manage that whole piece to get teachers as a group to self-reflect? Right. Well, you know, that is, it's akin to uh, trying to, to develop muscular strength so that you can do something. So if you, you need muscular strength for your job, or if you just need muscular strength to carry your babies around, or if you need muscular strength to, to move a Volkswagen out of the way, if you don't want to park your car, whatever it is, you need to go to the gym and you need to strengthen those muscles so that you can then sure. use them. Right? That's a really great analogy. So, you know, self-reflection is really no different. We you need to spend some time at the reflective gym, building that reflective muscle so that you can use it. Because in the perfect world, uh, the way that self-reflection works in a classroom setting is a teacher could be teaching a lesson, asking certain questions and noticing responses and noticing how students are engaged or not engaged, and then immediately make a shift in what's going on and, and take a different tact or ask a different question or try something new. So you need to have that reflective muscle built. So to answer your question, we need, we need to take our teachers to the reflective gym, right? So oh, one good the, point. One of the things that uh, that I did as as principal and Elisa did as a coach, and we had a couple other coaches that we worked with, is we intentionally embedded self reflective opportunities into team meetings, into faculty meetings, into our one on one conversations with teachers, and really highlighted it and made it explicit. And this is one of the things that I found about uh, principal leadership is that, you know, in our pre-observation conferences and our post-observation conferences, we have a set of reflective questions that we like to ask. And that's something that we do by routine. We very rarely stop and explain to our teachers, hey, here's what we're doing here. Right. In these reflective questions. Right. Right. It's not so much what you're doing that's making the biggest difference. It's how you're allocating your mental energy towards what is the goal I'm trying to accomplish? How am I going about it? What decisions am I making and why did I make those decisions? So Pete, let me let me ask. So I, I like this analogy with the gym thing, right? So I'm at I'm trying to work on my stomach, you know, at home. So what <laughs> so I'm doing sit-ups. So so Pete, what's one of the strategies that a teacher could use, you know, as an individual at home to help build that muscle? I really like that analogy, man. It's really great. Well, uh, one is journaling. So if we if we journal and and it's not just some folks do really well with just a free for all journal, just a blank sheet of paper, or whatever, a blank screen and just type or write. Having the right prompts to generate that reflective uh, thinking and that process is really, really helpful. So if you have a journal and that's one of the things that we've published is if you have a journal that has effective reflective prompts, that can be a way to generate that thinking and get those habits. Because the, the second piece of that is, and Cesar, you'll appreciate this because you're working on your apps, is that we can also build that. Once you know what those prompts are, you can conjure them when you're jogging, when you're cooking, when you're driving home. It's kind of like, you know, right now, Cesar, you could be flexing your abdominal muscles and building some core strength while you're sitting here talking to me. So once you know what some of those exercises are, you can start to incorporate them into your daily routines, and you don't necessarily need to go to the gym for an hour to do that. 
you could weave them into the the work you're already doing. And that's what that's what self-reflection can do. Right. It, it becomes and a natural, almost a natural part of your development. Right. Well, it's cool. not necessarily natural, but it becomes automatic. It becomes automatic. Right. Right. And it's something that you really must strategically build that habit to make it make it really. So simple. using this, uh, using this gym analogy or this workout, you know, this uh, mental exercise regimen. At what point does someone begin to say, wow, you know, I've been on this fitness plan for a while now and I'm starting to see results. What's the aha moment that a teacher should um, see, feel, or hear that says, I was going to ask something very similar, Ron. You are absolutely right. And because I, I wanted to send it back to students. So why do all this reflective stuff and what impact is it going to have on what happens in the classroom and our student development? Yeah, well, there's two things, two things are going to happen. One is you're going to see the absence of something. And that's that's always fun. And it's two words, two words in our self-talk, right? Our inner monologue that has been using two two particular words frequently. Those words go away. You want? Can you guess what either of those two words are? No, what? All right, the first one is but. What? We, we as but. We stop saying the word but. Right? Oh. I would do that. But I'm not going to because of whatever oh. reason. I know that I'm supposed to be working like this or asking this many questions. But. I thought, so as soon as that word starts to escape, things are in the, headed in the right direction. The other word is should. And it's in our, it's in our self-talk. Oh, I should do this. Or I should stop doing this. Or I should not eat that piece of cake. I should go to the, in the classroom. Oh, I should you know, prepare my questions in advance. I should survey my kids to see what they're interested in before I leave this lesson. And as soon as that word should goes away, it means you're actually doing it. Right, right. right. I'm surveying my kids. I'm asking right. them. I'm using that. Right. So that's, right. That's the first one. And then not surprisingly, the second, the second is that you start to see this energy develop in the classroom uh, that emanates from you that now is radiating throughout the classroom as your kids start to connect with goals and purpose and intentionality and the direct link, the cause and effect between what I do and what I get. And that's from teacher to kid to instructional assistant, principals, you know, cafeteria workers, you name it, everybody starts. Right. You know what I was thinking of while you were talking and you know, what's, what's unfortunate by the way is teachers coming out of the colleges of education with some of that knowledge that you're sharing with us right now. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen. You know, that... Yeah, not as much as we like. I mean, it's sad, too, right? It's just like having active learning strategies, right? And But they don't teach it and teach you how to implement that stuff in the college, right? I mean, and that's the sad part. So what have you guys done or have you thought about, you know, working with some colleges of education so that teachers are much more prepared to do this, this reflective process and being able to change on a dime given, you know, knowing that your audience is not getting it, right? <laughs> right. You know, that's kind of two-pronged. One is that um, we do reach out to, to colleges and universities, and there are a lot that actually are using our work in their college, you know, teacher prep program. No, that's so really, great. That so is. Excited, but that's, that's part of the discussion. Um, and we're, you know, we're not the only people that, promote, you know, reflective practice and cognitive learning and that sort of stuff. Um, and the other piece is, you know, what you're talking about is kind of like parenting too, right? I mean, 
we wish we had all these skills when we first became parents. And the reality is we develop those skills as we experience parenting and as we make mistakes with kids and as we do things well, if, if we reflect on them, we can learn. So the same goes for, you know, reflective practice. Sometimes we need to get in there and struggle and say, gosh, I really want this to happen. I want it to not happen. And then with some supportive guidance from a, a reflective coach or a reflective administrator or a mentor or a peer, then we can start to build that sense. So we, you know, we really promote the use of reflective practice within professional development and day-to-day operations of coaching as well. You know, Pete, the, 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 I always go back to my earlier question about the support from administration to provide teachers that framework, you know, and the space. You know, so so one of the things that I did, I was principal at, at uh, Andre Agassi School out in Las Vegas for a minute. And one of the things that we integrated so that teachers could almost group self-reflect, although we didn't say it, we didn't call it that. So we used a best study model, right, where teachers would go, you know, to go to each other's room and talk about their practice and all that kind of stuff. So if you, what strategies do you guys use or do you use from a group perspective so that teachers can self-reflect as a group? Well, you know, most most teachers are organized in teams, whether it's their grade levels or departments. And so there's ample opportunity for the team to get together. And what that requires is a, a significant amount of front loading to the process, because what tends to happen is teacher teams get together and they have very specific tasks. We need to do this lesson plan. We need to grade this assessment. We need to analyze these, you know, whatever it is. They've got tasks to do. And what we want to do is, is separate just slightly and elevate above those tasks and be able to look down at them from the 10,000 foot level or whatever and say, all right, so what are we really trying to do here? So we facilitate that process by asking those reflective questions to guide the team's work. And, and the challenge, and you can see what the challenge is, is it momentarily takes us away from, gosh, getting stuff up, right? And the, the the payoff is is down the road as the team becomes much more efficient in engaging in dialogue and engaging in the data analysis because they've got those reflective prompts and they're so honed in. It's a totally different ball game a year down the road. We just have to be willing to trust that process as we develop those skills and those processes. So, so the, the the other question is, and I don't know if you guys have ventured in, uh, or any of the people that are doing reflective practicing have, have ventured into research studies to take a look at the impact that it has had on student academic achievement. You know, taking one group who doesn't use that and another group that does, right? Have you seen any studies like that? Uh, we, you know, we've been, uh, I don't know if it's a, on the parallel, we've been on a, on a tangential course next to studies like that. And the difficulty in educational research is isolating the variables, right? I mean, that's, that's the real kicker because what you find is once we start engaging in reflective practice, we're doing so many other things. We're building efficacy, we're isolating goals and we're identifying learning outcomes. And so there's so many practices that accompany that. Well, what we can tell you is that uh, qualitatively, we have uh, received a ton of feedback from schools that have embraced this work and they've reported to us, oh, our, our kids are improving. Our, oh, that's cool. You know, some of, the, some of the highest impact data that we see are in teacher attendance rates. So oh, is that right? Teachers tend to actually come to school more frequently and, and engage with their teammates more 
So Pete, I was thinking about this in terms of studies. Caesar's ever the academic. I'm the outsider. You know, I'm simply an evangelist for the work that you as educators do. Um, but I'm curious, you know, seeing is believing. And so I'm curious. I understand how isolating variables would be a challenge, but it's not a challenge to see uh, in your practice while you're doing this with a group or that, that you see uh, the difference. And so maybe you could share with our listening and viewing audience, you know, an example of someone who came to you who uh, thought they were more effective in the classroom than they might have been, went through this um, workout session, if you will, and then came to it and, and had that epiphany or had that aha moment where they uh, incorporated what you were sharing with them because it simply had such an impact. Yeah. So it I've been working with a, a school district in Texas, um, Cypress Fairbanks School District, in which the middle school supervisor um, or the assistant superintendent in, in charge of middle schools shared with me that a couple of years ago, as they were just, you know revving up in this process, they had a handful of schools that were on the state's watch list for their performance. And then after digging into this process for a couple of years and really getting to work and really working with instructional coaches and really building that reflective practice as the central tenet of that coaching work, they now have no middle schools on the state watch list. Oh, great. I would love, I would love to say that that's, you know, because of our work, but I know that it's, but it's a lot of things, a lot of really good things, right? So we're really pleased to be a part of that work. So Pete, Pete, what would, what would someone for our audience, what would, where would someone start? Well, I mean, what what uh, brief or book or I mean, how would they start this process, you know, so that they can launch their. Right. It would be kind of a two pronged process that I would I would advocate. One is from the individual standpoint and say, well, how can I can how can I grow as a reflective practitioner? Uh, the most recent work that we published is through McRell um, and Elisa Simmerall and Brian Goodwin and I wrote a book called Pursuing Greatness. And it's. Uh, empowering teachers to take charge of their professional growth. And it really does follow that reflective process and that reflective cycle and challenges teachers to engage in uh, addressing some common problems of practice through self-reflection. Uh, the other prong would be through the system. So, so through our schools or our district or even just department or grade level. And so a book that Elisa and I wrote a couple of years ago is called Creating a Culture of Reflective Practice. And this one really speaks to the environment. It kind of tills the soil for how to build that that culture of reflective practice so it becomes embedded in the work we do. And so those reflective questions are just natural, right? Or as Caesar already explained or, or highlighted, habitual. It's not natural. Right, 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 right. exactly. You know, and the, this, the second book I think is really important because it's, it deals with culture. So you have to have an administrator that wants to set up a culture to allow you to grow and, and develop these reflective practices. And so would you recommend from an administrative standpoint, would you recommend the second book first for, for administrators so that they can really focus on providing the space and the, the opportunity for teachers to develop? Absolutely. In fact, uh, of all the schools that we work with, we do a lot of work with instructional coaches and not quite as much as we'd like with administrators, because like you hit the nail on the head on that one. When an administrator's on board and supports this work, it, it carries, it really does grease the wheels. So I would definitely recommend, um, and if any instructional coaches that are viewing this, 
get a copy for your administrator and say, hey, let's read it together. Let's Oh, wow, let's that's cool. Let's, let's build some capacity together. Yeah. You know what I really like? And, and I know we got to wrap this up pretty soon. What I really like is integrating these into meetings. You know, so what, what I used to uh, I used to do some uh, professional development with administrators, superintendents and stuff. And I used to tell them, I said, if you really want to develop your teachers, start doing it in meetings. You know, set the meeting up so that. Right. You know, so it's, it's a learning meeting. Out. Right. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. Do this or do that. You know, restructure it. And I like, I mean, you mentioned that earlier, that every meeting is restructured in such a way that allows for that muscle flexing, right? Yeah, and not just allows for it, but promotes it and celebrates it. That's, that's the piece is we, we have to see value in those moments. And it doesn't have to be 45 minutes of reflection. It could be three minutes of reflection that just allows that to be stay here in our prefrontal cortex. This is important. Right. And you know what? I really like starting the meeting off like that almost, right? And that's what I used to do. I used to start my meetings off with a question that would, you know, that people could start discussing and put them at ease too, right? So they're not uptight, you know, when they walk. So I used to hate walking into administration meetings when I was a teacher, right? I said, oh, shit, you know? <laughs> but, you know, I, I think developing that atmosphere and culture is, is like super important. So, so Pete, how would someone, if they wanted to engage with you to help, you know, them structure, you know, this whole process, how would they go about doing that? Well, if you want to engage with me, um, you can email me at PeteHallAtEducationHall.com or uh, visit us through our website at EducationHall.com. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to, this is the work I do now. I love connecting with educators and talking through ways to build capacity. So if there's anything. Hey, yeah, and getting shit Pete. done. You love it. Right. I know, uh, right? You got that right. This has, been, this has been terrific. If I have one takeaway from it as a non-educator in this conversation, it's that um, reflective practice, it seems to me, is is the is the groundwork that's needed to set a foundation for engaging students in a more meaningful and deep way so that they're carried along in this journey as partners with their teachers. Absolutely. And Absolutely, Ron. That's a big aha for me because I think you can do all the things that you're being asked to do as a teacher, but if you're not making that connection, and you know, Caesar and I have worked a lot using technology in the classroom and doing online learning. And the one thing that online learning does is it establishes who's a student because if you're not engaging you don't exist in that classroom right and so and, and sometimes to your point about getting this uh, process underway a teacher could be in there believing they're following the checklist and they're following the curriculum and they're doing everything but they're not necessarily cued into the two or three students that are literally sitting there and maybe masking they may be writing notes. They may be looking attentive, and they're checked out. And so I think that's a really important takeaway that, that I... And let uh, me add one thing, Pete, because the other part of this is that this can apply to the corporate world also. So leaders in the corporate world need to have this reflection so that they can become better leaders or improve their products, because that's what scientists do, right? I mean, they reflect on what they've invented. Say, oh, it's not going to work. Let's go back to the drawing board. Let's make this tweak. So I think this overall is just such a, a dynamic approach to learning and development. 
this has been really super interesting, Pete. Yeah, well, I would I would just add that um, and it's not just for leadership, right? It's for anything that we're doing. So I can tell you, I have been a better barbecuer since I learned these skills. I, I like to believe I've been a better husband since I've learned these skills. I know I was better at teaching my kids how to drive once I learned these skills. So it's it's really a transferable skill to anything we do if we're interested in getting better at it. Great, well, great. Keith, thanks so much for joining us on Disrupted. Well, it's been a great session. And I think uh, before, before we close it out, you know, the other takeaway that I have is that you've been doing a lot of writing and you've given our uh, listening and viewing audience an opportunity to connect with you at your website, educationhall.com, and also to uh, get in touch with you about the books or about doing something collaboratively. But you've also... Um, kind of uh, taken a departure from uh, writing books for administrators. And so I want to bring you back on the show to talk with us about your next venture, which yeah, is- Yeah, we heard you had a novel out, man. Right. Yeah. So you have a new book, Chasing the Storm, right? Uh, I actually have a copy right here, Chasing the Show. Yeah, Chasing, Chasing the Show. Right, Chasing the Show. Right. I'd be happy to cool. you about that. That sounds like a great idea. Great. So let's um, thank you. Thank you so much. This yeah, thanks a lot, man. This has great. been great. Absolutely and, um, great. We look oh, forward to talking with you about the book. And this has been Ron Stefanski, co-host of Disrupt Ed. And I'm Caesar Caesar. And we've been talking with Pete Hall, um, who's going to join us again to talk to us about his new YA novel. Until then, thanks for joining us. And we look forward to having you in another episode of Disrupt Ed. Yeah, take care, everyone. Thanks again, Pete. This has been great. Thank you, gentlemen.